In any given year, 40 million Americans will suffer from debilitating anxiety. Over the course of your lifetime, there's a one out of four chance that you'll have an anxiety disorder. That is such a staggering rate. It suggests that we've entered into a new realm. We've acclimated to a new norm, one of mass disquiet. Anxiety exists in epidemic proportions in our culture. If 40 million people fell mysteriously ill on a physical level, the Center for Disease Control would be searching for the cause and looking to find the solution. As a practicing psychotherapist, it's never made sense to me that the best we can do is try to manage this disorder, typically through medication. So I've been searching to understand why we struggle in this way. Now, I'm not talking about normal levels of stress, which are typical in our lives. I feel some stress standing here right now. That's the stress of engagement, of being productive and generative, moving forward. But when stress turns into distress, it impedes, it blocks our ability to live our lives well, with joy, to be present in our relationships. So I've been searching to understand why we are entrenched in this epidemic of anxiety. Here's what I've learned. I find that primarily the cause of such anxiety is due to our relationship with our thoughts. How you guys doing out there? Good? I'm trying to tell you, are you looking happy or sad? I don't know. Thanks, thanks for smiling, Dan. <laughs> hey, it's great to see everybody here. We are, uh, well, we're, I think we're entering the holiday season. Uh, the reason I know that is the town of Hernan just put up all of its Christmas lights. So I guess officially uh, Christmas season has begun. And uh, that means for a lot of us, right, we're entering a period of stress, <laughs> a period of anxiety, right? You've you got to get things done, right? I mean, you've got to uh, clean your house. You've got to buy stuff to cook. You've got to cook it. You've got to coordinate things with family. Uh, you have to deal with family. Hmm. Got to decide where you have to go. Got to decide when you're going to get there. Got to decide what to buy. Got to wrap what you buy got to pay for what you buy, right? You got to get stuff done at work so you can get a few days off without feeling stress about the stuff you didn't get done before you left. Just a ton of things during this season that heighten stress, heighten anxiety this time of year. It's really not that easy to experience the peace on earth the angels talked about with the, uh, with the shepherds, is it, right? So I just want to try to use this uh, next few weeks. I've been working on this message series for about a year off and on. Uh, and, and I just want us to sort of see if we can find some rest, some peace, not have high anxiety, but maybe say by anxiety just a little bit more. And I think even if you're not a Christian here this morning, I think you'll hear some things that you're going to think, okay, oh man, that's okay, that's pretty good advice. I, I think you're not alone. That's the other thing I'm, I'm, I think you're gonna, we're going to emphasize is that if you're feeling stress, feeling anxiety, you are not alone in this world. Um, the Bible is felt, itself is just chock full of people who go through the stuff that you and I go through in terms of anxiety and fears. Uh, there aren't many stories in Scripture about people who kind of get here and just kind of waltz through life, everything's rosy all the time, no anxiety, it just sort of really doesn't exist in Scripture. And so Christians aren't immune to anxiety. Uh, and so if you're feeling a little anxiety, you know, you're in the right place because you're, you're just part of the human race and we all are dealing with it. Now, what I want to do is uh, start with this crazy, 
Crazy Psalm, Psalm 42. So if you have your Bibles or apps, you can get there and sort of follow along. We'll have it on the screen for you too. But uh, I just want to read this thing. There are 11 verses. And I just want you to follow along with this uh, struggle this chap is having, all right? Uh, there ain't no fake happy going on in this, in this psalm. It's, it's all laid out right there for you. Okay, here's what he goes. Psalm 42, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And then... <laughs> When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Then it's like he's fighting back against it, right? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival, and then pew, why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And then he's like fighting against it. Hope, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And then phew, again, my soul is cast down within me. And then he's trying to dig out. But I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. But then, pew, down again, deep, calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All of your breakers and your waves have gone over me, just like waves of stuff crashing on him. Then he's fighting against it again. But, but by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And then, rock bottom again, speaking of rock, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As, a, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And then he's like fighting for air again. Hope Hope, hope in God. You can see me like, okay, we're going to hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You see the swings? This guy's in trouble. You ever, you ever feel that way? If you haven't, you just haven't lived long enough, right? In 1948, a fellow by the name of W.H. Auden wrote a poem called The Age of Anxiety. It actually won the Pulitzer Prize even though some people called this, uh, this work a 138-page boring poem, but it tended to speak to a culture that was steeped in anxiety just three years after the end of World War II. The age of anxiety became sort of a well-worn phrase. I did a check. I think since 1990, over two dozen books have actually included that phrase in the titles, right? And anxiety in America has been on the rise ever since, two, ever since 1948. It is now the number one health issue, mental health issue, in America, right? 18% of adults in the United States are affected by clinically diagnosed anxiety disorder. In 2013, the last year I could find stats on it, nearly 50 million Americans were prescribed Xanax, which was the top psychiatric drug to deal with people with anxiety. And then just this year, the American 
college survey, association survey, found that 57% of college students arrive on campus feeling overwhelming anxiety. 22% of them say that this anxiety actually inhibits their ability to do their, their college studies. And 16% of them are actually on medication for anxiety disorder. So, so colleges are kind of aware of this. And they're doing their best to try to address it. Uh, some of them offer classes to deal with anxiety for the students. Uh, some of them hand out stress uh, kits during orientation. Uh, some of them provide dog therapy sessions and uh, group counseling. Uh, they're doing this not because the college work is what's stressing the kids out, but because the kids show up at college already fearful and anxiety-ridden and uh, full of despair, you know? And it's not just in students and teens. Statistics say there's a rise in anxiety among even our small kids. Growing up in an achievement and comparison culture is wrecking havoc on our little ones. And it just plays all right through college. It doesn't get better after college because all of a sudden you've got real life to deal with. And you know what that's like if you're an adult, right? So uh, all your anxieties tend to increase. All this to say that anxiety is a common human experience. And we shouldn't be ashamed to admit it since it's so common. Some people deal with anxiety but never talk about it. They just kind of keep it inside. But all of us deal with it. We have fears of failure. We have fears with our finances. You know, am I going to have enough to retire on? And some of us, am I going to have enough at the end of this month to live on? We deal with fears of dangers. Some of them are real. Some of them are imagined. They're only in our minds. Our news is constantly filled, now that the election's gone, with just simple things like terrorism and crime, mass shootings, bad news, right? That just increases our own sort of fear and stress and anxiety about the world we live in. We fear loss. We fear rejection. We kind of live under the, under the tyranny of what-if scenarios. What if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong? What if he does this? What if she does that? What if he's... We live this fear of loneliness. We live with the fear of the future. And we live with the constant fear of death. Now, there's a spectrum to anxiety, right? Some people experience it in a fairly mild way. For them, every now and then, something pops in their world that just causes a bit of stress. And they have anxiety over a few things in their life. It's almost like it's a, an occasional visitor or a guest to their home. It's there, but it doesn't last too long. And it doesn't be, it's not overwhelming. But other people with anxiety don't experience it that way. It's not an occasional guest. It's more like a roommate. Someone who's constantly living with them. And anxiety for them is a constant companion. There's a constant sense of worry, a constant sense of anxiety, a constant sense of stress and fear. And it's not over just a few things, but many things that cause them anxiety. I don't know if you remember a couple years ago, uh, the article in the Washington Post, a big, big news if, if you paid attention to things intergalactic. Uh, the Earth came very close to being hit by a huge asteroid. Remember that? 2016? No? no? Oblivious. No. <laughs> It only missed us by about a million miles, which in terms of how big the universe is, is like a really close brush with death, right? Uh, if this thing had hit Washington, D.C., it would have literally destroyed everything from New York City 
to Raleigh, North Carolina. That's how big it was, right? It wiped out everything. Some people we now know who read that article have a tremendous, a tremendous fear about asteroids, right? <laughs> Their minds are running rampant. What, what, what if one comes and hits where I am or whatever? And it's really hard because if, you, if you're being pummeled by something from outer space, some extraterrestrial thing going, you don't know where to go, right? Because it could hit anywhere on Earth. There's nowhere you could go to hide, right? And it's just one more what if that governs the lives of people who are struggling with anxiety. So there's a spectrum to it, a spectrum to anxiety and fear. And it can be accompanied, as we saw from you know, the video I showed at the beginning, some physical symptoms. Shortness of breath, heart palpitations, sweaty palms, dry mouth, full-scale panic attacks that can hit you any, at any time and pretty much over anything. Uh, one thing I've noticed, actually, in watching TV in the last few years is how many leading characters struggle with anxiety attacks or panic attacks. The Tony Soprano was a perfect example of that. Dan Smith, um, not the Dan Smith we all know from New Life, but Dan Smith, uh, writer for the uh, New York Times, did an op-ed piece back in uh, a couple of years ago. And he said this, speaking of anxiety, he said, look, it is a petty monster. And it's able to work such humdrum tricks on us as paralyzing us over our salad. You know, whether a choice between vinaigrette or, or blue cheese is almost as important as life and death to them, Right. Now, now, many of us feel the presence of this petty little monster, but I want to say this. If you feel that presence, that does not make you a petty little person, right? Here's Emma Stone's testimony on the screen. But you know that there are biblical giants that we kind of use, you know about all the time, study about all the time, that suffered anxiety and fears and depression? I was thinking about uh, Abraham, you know, father of the nation of Israel, right? Had a lot of fears, he lived a lot in the fear of what if. His wife, Sarah, was apparently drop-dead gorgeous. And uh, his what if was very interesting. He roams into a land of Egypt, where Pharaoh and stuff is living, and he says this, what if the king sees my gorgeous wife? And he wants her for himself, and he decides he's going to kill me to get her. That, that's his what if. So he says, what does he do? He walks around town proclaiming that she's not really his wife, he's just, she's just his sister, and then he ends up just giving her to the Pharaoh. You can read the rest of the story in Genesis to see what happens. There's actually two incidences where he does this, right? Being driven by anxiety and fear can lead you to a lot of unwise steps. Or you got somebody like Jeremiah who's known as the weeping prophet, just full of despair and grief all the time. Or Elijah. He has this incredible victory where God literally rains down success from heaven on, on, on him. And five verses later, he is running for his life, scared to death. He's holed up next to a stream, and he just wants to die, and he just wants to sleep, right? Even Jesus said this, I am deeply troubled and sorrowful, even to death. So there's no shame in experiencing anxiety. I, I believe God gives us these examples out of Scripture to let us know that this really is a common human experience. And in the church, we need to be able to admit it. We need to be able to open up and say, look, I'm really struggling with this. But enough of fake happy. <laughs> we don't need that. We need people to be able to say, hey, I'm, I'm dealing with some stuff. I'm dealing with some fear. I'm dealing with some depression. And the beautiful thing about what Scripture shows us is that God meets these people we just talked about in their need. And he intends to meet us in ours as well.
Because God really does want us free from anxiety. He wants us to be free from that kind of depression. He just want us, he doesn't want us to live with a dark cloud hanging over our heads all the time. And, and you know how I know that? Well, it's from Scripture. If you, if you think about, okay, all the Scripture from the beginning to the end, and you think about, okay, what, what is God's like most common command, demand on the human race? Well, you think, okay, uh, worship me, okay, or glorify me, or uh, obey my commands, or, or be holy, live holy lives. You think that those would be kind of maybe one of the top ten, right? No. The command that God has given human beings more than any other single command in Scripture is do not fear. Fear not. Don't be anxious. I could give you pages of references where God gives people that command far more than any other single command. And he always attaches promises to it, like don't fear because I am with you, or I'm never going to leave you, I'm never going to forsake you, I'm going to accomplish everything good that I have promised, and, and you have to worry. You, you may not see it right now because of your circumstances, but I've got this. You can trust me, do not fear. So God wants us free of this monster called anxiety, not only for our own joy and freedom, but also just because of our witness in the world, right? A guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, Spiritual Depression, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later, he says this, that, that, that a Christian is meant to experience joy and peace. And when we lack those, and we're living with fear and anxiety and, and stress and worry and depression, what we're telling the world who observes us is that our God's not really that trustworthy. He's not really that good a God. Um, so our witness to the world can be hurt by our being immersed in this. So listen, anxiety is not simple. It's complex. And there are a whole lot of factors at play. Uh, one factor just deals with our physical bodies, right? When sometimes when you're sick, you get exhausted, you get tired, you can be more anxious than when you're well-rested and feeling healthy. So what's going on in your physical bodies can affect kind of what's going on in your mental condition. Another factor, I think, is just our own personalities. There are, there are people who are extreme extroverts, there could be possibly one on the stage right now. I don't know. I'll let somebody else decide that. Anyway, for that person, a lot of things, most of life is everything is awesome, right? The cup is always half full. The glass is always half full. Always outgoing. They're always loud, always laughing, always talking, always fun to be around for like, you know, three minutes, and then they get really irritating, right? But then, right, they wear thin. But then there's the, the introverts, right, who just tend to be more naturally pensive, more naturally contemplative, and being around people who are the, you know, the extroverts, you know, just drives them nuts a little bit, drains them of their energy, doesn't give them energy. But introverts are more inclined naturally just to be worried and anxious because they tend to be focused inward as opposed to the extroverts focused outward. So you got your Eeyores, right, drifting more naturally to some sadness and melancholy. And then the Tiggers, who often don't have the common sense to know that they ought to be anxious about something. They're just too dumb to know, right? So we have to keep our own personalities kind of in mind. We need to know whether we tend to tilt that way or not more than other people. And then there's just brain chemistry, right? Things going on in our brains that sometimes get out of balance and lead to anxiety or depression. And just like God provides medicine to deal with some of our physical afflictions, he also can provide medicine to deal with some of the brain chemistry issues. You'd never criticize, would you, a diabetic for taking insulin? 
I don't see anybody saying yes, they would do that. We should also not chide somebody for taking medication to deal with a brain imbalance chemically. And often, medications such as that can help level the playing field so folks can begin to deal with the issues that go deeper than just brain chemistry or personality or being tired or even ill. And those deeper issues, based on Scripture, do exist. Because when Scripture talks about our fears and our anxieties and our worries and even depression, it tends to focus on the spiritual root causes of those things. And many of our anxieties originate from our spiritual condition. Scriptures make it clear we're not just physical beings, not just physiological creatures, but spiritual creatures. And while we were created by God, we happen to live, as you know, in a, bro- in a world that's been broken by sin. And we ourselves are fallen creatures with sinful natures, with weaknesses and tendencies that result in actions that cause guilt and shame. And we have very real enemies, right? Our own flesh that tends to drive us to stuff we shouldn't be doing now that we're saved. We've got a world system that is doing everything it's possible thanks to its leader in pulling us away from all the things of God and ultimately joy and peace. This is the spiritual world we happen to dwell in. And we're facing the reality that at some point death is going to visit us because sin has brought that into the world. So there are real spiritual reasons for some of the anxieties we face, but there's also spiritual answers to those. And in this series, what I want to do over the next six weeks is just kind of talk about some of those, right? Explore them. Now, back to Psalm 42. I think it's pretty clear we see a guy dealing with anxiety, no? He's dealing with sorrow. He's dealing with depression. He's dealing with a sense of hopelessness and loneliness. He doesn't have, he doesn't have the serious issue this woman on the screen has. I mean, this is this as bad as it gets, right? But he's dealing with some pretty, pretty tough issues anyway, right? Look at this. Look at his condition. He's concerned about his future. When am I ever going to get back to home? He's probably talking about Jerusalem. Am I ever going to see home? Am I ever going to see my friends? Like him, we tend to have concerns about our futures, right? He's dealing with some real sorrow. He's crying, in fact, right? He says that tears have been his food. He's so sad, so depressed, so anxious, he's not even eating properly. He says his soul is cast down and in turmoil. It's roaring and raging within him. His anxiety is obviously showing up in some physical ways, right? He says his life is like waves of despair just continually crashing over him. He mentioned being on the beach and the waves just keep coming in and just every time you, you stand up, you get knocked down again. That's kind of how he feels. He says he feels forgotten by God. Now, on top of that, he's got these enemies who are just kind of riding him, taunting him, oppressing him. He says it's so bad that it feels like his bones are hurting, right? This guy is in sad shape. Does that sound familiar <laughs> at all? Any of you ever felt those kinds of pains? Yeah, pretty much all of us have at one point or another. Maybe through, maybe short periods, maybe longer periods. So what does this guy do? How does he deal with this? Well, this is kind of the key point for today. It goes back to the video I showed you just before this message started. He, he does this. He begins to have a conversation with himself. More to the point, he addresses himself. He talks to his own soul. He even rebukes himself. Says things like this. You know, why are you still here in this fear? Why are you still experiencing this pain, this anxiety. Why are you staying here in this sorry state? 
man, I need to wake up. I need to wake up from this. He tells himself, man, dude, put your hope in God. He's talking truth to himself. And he does that really throughout Psalm 42. But you know what? He actually continues this conversation into Psalm 43 because all the Bible experts say that these two Psalms go together, that they just continue the conversation. Right? So let's just read those five verses in Psalm 43. Bonus verses, free of charge, right? Starting in verse 1, 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. It sounds pretty good, right? Until the next phrase. Why have you rejected me? Then he's back up. Okay, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down? O my soul, why are you in turmoil within me? Knock it off. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It's basically the same conversation, right, that we saw in verse 42, chapter 42. Both Psalms alternating between despair and anxiety and, and then pressing himself to hope. He's having this conversation in both, and he's telling himself the very same thing. Dude, things, okay, are pretty bad right now. Circumstances are not very good. They're not very pleasing. Things are depressing. Things are causing me anxiety, but I need to grab on to God. I need to hope with God. I need to get with God. I need to believe God's word. I need to let that light my way out of this anxiety I'm in. So let's don't miss what he's saying to himself. He's saying that his only hope here, his only way out of this, is to experience God and trust God and place his hope in God. To believe what God is, who God is, and what God's done, and what God's promised. Now, look, all of us, when we're dealing with anxiety or depression or whatever, we're going to tend to trust something, right? We're going, to, we're going to tend to have hope in something. We're going to run to something. All of us have escapisms, right? Things that when we feel stressed, when we feel sorrowful, when we feel depressed, when we feel anxious, things we try to fix it with, right? Maybe we think the power to fix it is within us. We can lift ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Maybe we think it's TV. Binge watch some Netflix for a couple of days. Try to cover up the anxiety. Try to forget it exists. Look at somebody else whose problems are worse. Maybe you'll feel better about yours, right? Or eating. Maybe it's some sort of sin. A lot of people are addicted to porn, trying to deal with anxiety. Of course, all it does is create more anxiety, guilt, shame. People who run to other people when they feel anxious. Other people got the same problems usually not able to cure their anxiety. Some people shop. And they end up, end up with more anxiety because they've just racked up a bunch of debt. Now they've got financial anxiety on top of the other ones. All these escapisms tend not to be the true fix for our pain of, of anxiety. They can't give us rest. And the psalmist knows this. See, that's what's brilliant. So what does he do? He puts all of his chips on God. When shall I come before God, he says. Some translations say it this way. When shall I meet with God? In the Hebrew, it can be translated this way. When will I see the face of or the countenance of God? 
If I were just face to face with God and, and I, he was that close to me, all this anxiety, all this fear, all this depression that I'm wearing would just dissipate. It implies this guy's got a relationship with God, right? God's not just some thing out there to kind of, you know, he's somewhere out there in the ethereal mess. God's a personal God. You can have a personal relationship with this God. You can interact with this God. You can be friends with this God. He spends a lot of time reminding himself about who God is and what God is like. He refers to God as Lord. That's the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's the covenant name that God uses when he's in a covenant relationship with people. So he knows that this is a God that's alive and well and that he's in a relationship with this God. He's pushing himself to hope in that even though some of his circumstances look like maybe God has forsaken him, right? He's reminding himself that God is active, that God's alive. He's not some bystander simply observing what's going on in life. He knows that his circumstances are known to God and that God is there. He reminds himself that despite the fact that things may look a little bleak, that God is a God of love and that God loves me. That God's a God of mercy and God's been merciful to me. That God's a God of kindness and he's been kind to me and he will yet do that again. He reminds himself that God is committed to his good and that God's love doesn't quit, never stops, doesn't give up. It doesn't ebb and flow. It's sometimes here, sometimes not. It's always there. He knows this stuff. And he recalls that this God, this God of his life, that God owns his life, that God is managing his life, that God's in control of his life, even these circumstances in which he finds himself. God is his rock, a God he can take refuge in, a God who's his protector. (laughs) When you think about it, we'll never know all the things that God has done for us that never happened to us because God prevented it from happening. There were things about to crash into our lives and God sort of deflected them away, protected us from them. If we could perchance remember that, maybe we can learn to trust him with the things that he actually does allow to crash into our lives. The psalmist is reminding himself, wait a minute, wait a minute, God is light. He's the way out of this. God is truth. There's no darkness in him. He's capable of dispelling this fear and darkness and bringing joy back. And the guy just goes on and on and on. Songwriter knows God. Have you ever been watching a scary movie and something on the screen happens and, and it just terrifies you? you know? And without even thinking about it, you just grab the person next to you because you're scared to death? We do that because anytime we're fearful, we tend to reach out for someone, another's presence. Problem is when we reach out to some other human being, they're just as scared as we are. They're not the fix. They're just as weak as we are. The psalmist decides, I'm not going to reach for another person. I'm going to reach for the living God. He wants to experience God. He wants to experience God's presence. Because he knows that no matter what, God's not surprised. God's not oblivious to. God's not startled by the fact that he's in these circumstances. God's not scared, nor is God scary. God's sovereign. He's ruling and reigning over all things. He's omniscient. He knows all things. God's not forgotten anything. And his love is steadfast. And so he decides, I'm going to reach out for him. I'm going to lay hold of him. I'm going to look upon his face. That's kind of the answer for our anxiety too. He says, hey, get a hold of yourself. He's talking to himself. Get a hold of yourself, dude. Remember who your God is. Remember all that God has already done. Remember all that God has promised. And trust him during this thing you're going through. He's preaching to himself to get free of his anxiety. 
Listen, I'm going to read you a sentence. It's, it's a powerful sentence. Martin Lowe joins in, his, joins in his book, Spiritual Depression, says this. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself rather than talking to yourself. He says, you and I, face to face with anxieties, tend to listen to ourselves. Woe is me. Things are off. Look how bad things are. This is never going to get better. This is awful. This is there. Circumstances hit and you and I start in with these what ifs, all this awful stuff that we start asking and dealing with in our minds. And it blows up. He says this, The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself. You have to preach to yourself. You have to question yourself. You have to say to your own soul, why are you so downcast? What business do you have being so agitated over this? We've got to say to ourselves, just a doggone minute there, self. Don't go there. Instead, hope in God. Do that instead of muttering to ourselves about how everything is lost in this so depressing world. Remind yourself that God is that, and who God is. What God has done. What God has pledged himself to do on our behalf. We have to almost defy our own self and speak truth to ourselves about who God is. This God that we know. And that's exactly what this psalmist does. And here's the good news, I think. You and I have the opportunity in Christ... To know God in a way this psalmist probably didn't even know. Because God has revealed himself to us in Christ. In an even more perfect way, in a complete way, than this psalmist probably even realized. Didn't Jesus say this? If you've seen me, you've seen God. And through faith in Christ, through his life, his death, his resurrection, Jesus turns the countenance of God our way. He brings God's smile in our direction. Right? It's Jesus who made peace with God for us possible so that God looks at you and smiles. It's because of Jesus we can be forgiven. It's because of Jesus we can know love and peace. Jesus has pledged himself to us, right? He's made unbreakable promises to you and me. He says, I will never get that. I will never leave you. So you're going through a tough time, God's right there. Jesus says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm with you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm not turning my back on you. Let you do this all by yourself. I'm with you. I will accomplish every good purpose I have for you. Nothing, no enemy ever raised against you will be able to stand. God says, I gave my son for you. Right? I didn't spare my own son. Will I not in him freely give you all things? And if I am for you, (laughs) who can be against you? Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God as our advocate, right? He's above all things, above every dominion and rule and power and authority in the entire universe. It means if you are a Christian today, Jesus rules over every authority and every dominion. He has all power and he possesses that with the intention of doing good for you. He's ruling over this entire universe for the good of his people. And in the end, every one of his enemies and yours will be defeated and not one hair of your head will perish. And he will do good 
for you for all eternity. We have to take hold of that. We've got to remind ourselves of that. And Jesus is all the proof we need that things are going to be okay, despite maybe the misery of our current circumstances. Now, I want you to notice something. Because we saw it in these two psalms. Dealing with anxiety is not a one-shot deal. There's not some one-shot thing that you do. Oh, I'm going to hope in God. And all of a sudden, all your anxiety disappears. I'm going to remember Jesus and I'm done now. Anxiety is going to just go away. No quick fix. No reason to sugarcoat this, okay? You can see it in this psalm. Dealing with anxiety is a battle. It's a battle. It's a fight. The psalmist has to keep going back to it, back to it, back to it, back to it, back to it. He utters a word of hope and then dives back into anxiety again. So he has to keep going back and forth, back and forth, fighting against his own feelings, his own thinking, his own, you know, misery. You and I are going to have to fight too, through our circumstances, through listening to all the silly stuff that ourselves say to us, through our fears. You have to fight to say bye to anxiety. We have to continually address ourselves with God's truth about the truth of what God is. Continually reining ourselves in. Continually battling the hope in God. Believing by faith that we will yet praise him. Some of you might be in the fight of your life right now. You know, you're fake happy right here. You might be dealing with some stuff. Keep fighting. Go where the psalmist goes. Be as thirsty for God as the deer dying of thirst is for water. You and I have got to place our hope in something to keep anxiety at bay. And it better be something worthy of that hope. The only thing I know is Jesus Christ. You might trust your IRA, your job, your health, your spouse, your kids, your friends. But I got to tell you, they will all falter. And they can be gone like that. The psalmist didn't say, well, I'm just tired of being anxious, so I think I'll just be unanxious. He's saying, no, to rid myself of this anxiety, I need an actual encounter with God. I need to experience the presence of God. I'm desperate for him. Because if you're fixated exclusively on your anxiety, on your circumstances, you're going to probably miss God. And when we miss God, we're not going to see freedom from our anxiety. But if we fight to put our anxieties here and focus our attention on God himself, you might be amazed that not only do you get God, but you find in that encounter with God, in that relationship with him, increasing freedom from our anxiety. To that end, let me pray for us.